KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Kinsey Moreland in for Annika Colbert. It's Monday, July 19th. So, Every year for 50 years, people have gone out to the desert to count the endangered bighorn sheep population. But not this year. More on that later in the show, but first, the headlines. Southwestern College hosted a memorial yesterday to commemorate the 37-year anniversary of what was, at the time, the largest mass shooting in American history. People gathered at the Higher Education Center in San Isidro at what was the scene of the shooting to pay tribute to the 21 victims who lost their lives on July 18, 1984. The shooter fatally shot 21 people and wounded 19 others before being killed by a police sniper. And another shooting on the other side of the country over the weekend got San Diegans' attention. San Diego Padres fans watching the game against the Washington Nationals Saturday saw as the game got suspended in the sixth inning after three people were shot right outside the ballpark. There were some scary moments as fans began fleeing their seats when the ballpark was evacuated. Three people were injured in the shooting. And some big news broke Friday afternoon, news that impacts lots of people here in our border region. A federal judge in Texas on Friday ordered an end to DACA. That's the Obama-era program that prevented the deportations of some immigrants brought into the United States when they were children. The judge ruled in favor of Texas and eight other conservative states that had sued to halt the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, which provides limited protections to about 650,000 people. Those already enrolled won't lose protections, but the judge is barring the processing of any new applications. And COVID cases are climbing in our county. We're averaging about 270 cases a day over the past week. And just a month ago, the average was less than 100 cases per day. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. So the heat waves that have rippled across the western U.S. this summer are causing problems for wildlife researchers. In the desert outside San Diego, an annual bighorn sheep count has been canceled. KPBS reporter Claire Trageser says the decision was made after a volunteer died. It was supposed to be the 50th anniversary of a citizen scientist tradition. 
Every year, for three days in early July, volunteers hike into the desert, sit in the shade all day, and count sheep. Okay, I've got the mail. The mail's going down, 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 down to water right now. That's a video made at last year's count. Volunteers like Callie Mack say their efforts help keep tabs on the peninsular bighorn sheep, which are endangered. You hike up there and you're all hot and sweaty and you're carrying some gear and you're saying to each other, oh, why do we do this every year? It's This is just miserable. Mac has been going to the count for 35 years and says it's worth it. But then all of a sudden you start seeing sheep coming down to, to get a drink or maybe coming into your count site and everything changes. You're just energized. It, it's like the sun coming up. But not this year. Right before the scheduled count, a volunteer was out in the 116-degree heat, stashing water for sheep counters to use. He died of heat stroke. The state parks department decided to cancel the count. Volunteers like Mac were not happy. Honestly, we felt like we'd been slapped hard in the face by state parks. They might have made some modifications. They could have gathered us all together beforehand and said, look, we don't want this to happen again. Be extra cautious. The California State Parks Department wouldn't do an interview about the decision. But here's part of a pre-recorded statement spokesman Jorge Moreno sent. While California State Parks appreciates the citizen science surveys, it should be noted that the data set is only one piece of the overall bighorn sheep recovery plan. He says the extreme heat makes the count just not worth it. And there are other ways to count sheep, including using helicopters, cameras, and GPS collars. But researchers at Oregon State University say a combination of all methods, including firsthand observation, is best. And I'm speaking quietly because we're watching a group of bighorn sheep that are eh, probably about four or five hundred yards away. Professor Clinton Epps monitors bighorn sheep populations by checking for parasites in their droppings. Okay, we've been here about 20 minutes, and she, our collared view did just drop pellets, so looks like we're going to go collect the samples and then move on and try to find a different group of sheep. He says an annual census done in the same way every year is also important. That's a long data set. And we don't have many long data sets in this business like that. And that data set helps researchers like him know whether conservation efforts are working. He says cameras and collars also help, as long as you have someone to review all the footage. It's expensive and it's hard. And, you know, it's one thing to put out cameras. It's another to sit there and review hundreds, maybe thousands of hours worth of videos or, you know, thousands of gigabytes worth of photos. Epps says in-person counting can also spot issues like disease. But that won't be happening this year. The State Parks Department says they'll work on safety plans so the count may return in the future. If it doesn't, volunteer Kelly Mack says more will be lost than just a sheep census. It makes more ordinary citizens aware of why the bighorn needs protection. At last count, there were less than 800 peninsular bighorn sheep. And that story from KPBS investigative reporter Claire Trageser. California lawmakers have approved the nation's first state-funded basic income program. CAP Radio's Ed Fletcher has more on who's eligible for the pilot program. The bill approved by the state Senate 
and backed by the governor, will make $35 million available as grant money to local governments that have basic income programs. The programs supplement existing social safety nets with no-strings-attached money for people in poverty. Nancy Skinner, who chairs the Senate Budget Committee, says the grant money could fill a big need. If you're in the foster system up to a certain age, you are provided for. And yet then when you transition out, while we have some support services, basically you're kind of just left out on your own. In addition to children aging out of the foster system, the state funding prioritizes pregnant women. As the mayor of Stockton, Michael Tubbs's basic income program sent $500 a month to a select group of residents in poverty. He says while the state money has a specific focus, local programs will target a wider audience. And that was Ed Fletcher reporting for CAP Radio in Sacramento. Coming up, looking back at two decades of war, some San Diego families are just not able to turn the page as the U.S. pulls out of Afghanistan. That story after a short break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. So for many in the public, Afghanistan was sort of America's backburner war. It was far away and often overshadowed by the war in Iraq. As U.S. troops continue pulling out of that war, the survivors of a fiery helicopter crash 15 years ago that killed 10 soldiers say time does not heal all wounds. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh has the story. He also sits down with Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh to discuss it. Justin O'Donohoe was 24 years old when he enlisted in the Army. He had already graduated college. His parents, Pat and Pam, still have his pickup truck out front. They drove it home to San Diego after visiting him at Fort Drum just before he deployed to Afghanistan in 2006. And we took him out to dinner at his favorite Chinese restaurant, which he loved, and that was the last time we saw him live. It's been 15 years since Justin died in a fiery helicopter crash on a mountainside in Kunar province, along with nine other soldiers. Fathers aren't supposed to bury children. There is no closure for that. There is a, a internal kernel of you that is still filled with grief. Justin O'Donohoe was a cavalry scout with the 10th Mountain Division. His platoon was on a mountain at night near the Pakistani border. One of Justin's platoon mates, Nick Pelosi, says the landing zone was only large enough for the giant Chinook's rear wheels to touch down. On the third try, the rear rotor struck a treetop. And it just tumbled and exploded, and um, it was just mass, mass carnage basically. They had been in the field for weeks, part of Operation Mountain Lion. The goal was to retake territory captured by Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. It was so hot that we couldn't get down in there, so we're yelling, you know, if if you're hurt and you're still alive, you know, move or make a sound, something, and we're going to come down and get you. In the morning, the survivors came down to recover the bodies. 
Pelosi was injured after he was knocked out of the helicopter during an earlier attempt to land. I mean, it was about 9-11, and <laughs> at this point, I, I don't really know. I don't really know what it's about. Pelosi left the Army after that first 18-month deployment. He's now living on a farm in upstate New York, near where he grew up. The damage that comes from this stuff is unbelievable. You know, none of these families are ever going to be the same after this. Justin left one last voicemail before heading into the mountains in Afghanistan, just to tell his parents he was okay. They were a military family. Justin's father spent his career in the Navy. His brother Kyle is a Navy pilot. Adonaho's mother Pam says some days are harder than others. I don't, I don't agree with the war because I think a lot of people got killed, a lot of boys got killed for no reason. We didn't win anything for anybody. You know, you, why were we there? I don't know anymore. The O'Donohoe sat around the same dining room table where army officers sat to tell them the findings of the crash nearly 15 years ago. When all is said and done, the helicopter still crashed and our son still died. The army ruled the crash an accident. A heavily redacted copy of the crash report says two sergeants told their leadership that they considered the night landing high risk and didn't understand why it was being attempted. Regardless, the effective end of the war in Afghanistan doesn't offer any solace to the O'Donohos. And you move on with the rest of your, your life and you don't forget, you don't ignore, you don't let it slide by. I have a compartment in me that's Justin. America has never had a conflict that stretched on for so long that the parents of fallen soldiers were still watching the war on TV long after their children had died. As the Afghan war finally comes to an end, Pam and Pat O'Donohoe are moving forward without moving on. Joining me is KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. And Steve, welcome. Hi, Maureen. Now, the sacrifice of this family in the Afghan war is part of two decades of U.S. casualties in that country. More than 2,300 U.S. military personnel have been killed. And yet, as you say, this has been America's back burner war. Why do you think that is? Well, you can make the case that Afghanistan stopped being at the forefront of public attention right after the invasion of Iraq in 2003. You, know, you look at all the publicity sur surrounding the departure over the last you know, few weeks. You know, I'm watching this a bit more closely, so I can see some of the benchmarks as the U.S. starts to pull out. You know, we have largely left Afghanistan already, but you're not really seeing um, these stories making you know, the top headlines. Uh, you know, some of that is the Biden administration. They're not looking for that mission accomplished moment. They're more interested, it seems, to not telegraph their moves so they can avoid a confrontation with the Taliban on the way out. One of the soldiers you spoke to in your feature says the war used to be about 9-11. Then he didn't know what it was about. And that questioning about the purpose of the war is shared by Justin's parents, wasn't it? Yeah. Justin's mother especially, she really didn't understand why we had been there for so long and had the most difficult time in, in trying to explain that. Um, his father had very similar 
had a very similar viewpoint, even though he's uh, he had a military career himself in the Navy and was a civilian contractor. In fact, he even did a crash investigations as part of his job so he could understand what had happened to his son. But it's, you know, it's especially hard to explain the war after um, the SEAL team killed Osama bin Laden back in 2011. There's just a sense that nothing really changed long term. You know, we honored the sacrifice that uh, these men and women made for our country and for their comrades. But overall, the, the goals seem kind of murky. This week, the top general in Afghanistan stepped down. And that's apparently a signal of the end of the war. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah. Monday, General Austin Miller stepped down as the commander of the American-led forces in Afghanistan. They had a change of command ceremony in Kabul, which effectively ended the U.S. war in Afghanistan after 20 years. You know, we have largely left already, except for a small force, which remains mainly to protect the embassy and a residual force that's basically handing off control to, to Turkish forces. But, you know, after 20 years, this is this is not the top story this week, even though, you know, for the most part, the war is over. And and don't expect any big homecoming parades. This will most likely be a very quiet end to America's longest war. And since the war in Afghanistan lasted a generation, I wonder if the end of the war is having as big an impact as you might think it would on Camp Pendleton. You know, so many young Marines were barely born when this war started. I'm always told that, you know, the Marines are um, are the youngest fighting force. So most of the people who fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, they're either at the very end of their careers or they've they've left long ago. I've been told by uh, U.S. Marine headquarters that there are no Marines at, uh, who are part of the remaining troops. So that means no one from Camp Pendleton or, or 29 Palms are, are left on the ground. So... You know, I'm going to be sitting down with members of the Dark Horse Battalion, which spent seven months in in Helmand province in Afghanistan. They will go down as having the highest number of casualties of any American unit during this war. You know, 34 Marines lost limbs and they're living with the legacy of this conflict and and they'll be living with it for the rest of their lives. Their their injuries, though, did drive a, a revolution in prosthetics. So I, I'm, I'm really actually looking forward to sitting down with them and talking with them and, you know, really getting a sense from them of what, uh, what their understanding is of the war. The U.S., okay, is gone, but our stated enemy, the Taliban, remains. Is the Taliban part of a new Afghan government? Well, you know, we, fi- we forget that talks are still ongoing with the U.S. and the Taliban and the Afghan government. It's been described as slow going, even by optimists. Um, you know, many observers say the Taliban is just waiting for the U.S. departure. They've already taken wide swaths of the country. The Biden administration said that they uh, they're confident that the Afghan government will hold it, uh, at least at the population centers around Kabul. But, you know, we'll see. When you spoke with Justin's family, the Donahos, did you get the sense that they were glad the Afghan war is finally over? Well, for them and for everyone else who lost a loved one in that war, it does not bring back back their son or daughter. You know, it doesn't bring back their son or any of the people who died in the crash that day back in 2006. Justin's dad talks about there being no such thing as closure when you lose a son. It was clear that they uh, they haven't been able been able to describe the purpose behind this war for a very long time. Um, they seem relieved that it's over, but it it really 
it doesn't really end the pain that they will take with them for the rest of their lives. And that was Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh talking with KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. And that is the show today. Thanks as always for listening. I will be back with you tomorrow morning. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.